What's happening, everybody? You're hanging out here on Relish the Journey with yours truly, Miles Biggs. And we are in season three of this show, which is pretty fun to think about you know, and how far we've come. And that's what this season's really all about, is looking back on favorites, underrated episodes, popular episodes, and personal favorites. And this is definitely a personal favorite of mine. Perhaps one of the coolest things about podcasting is that it gives me the opportunity to educate myself about other people, their stories, things in the world that maybe I'd heard of but never truly been exposed to myself. And when you're staring across, you're sitting across from another person, staring them in the eye, and they're just outpouring their life story. Their heart is open. They're just sharing unabashedly what's going on in their life. It's crazy. Something really cool happens in that room in that moment, and it's hard to capture that energy on audio, but it stays with you, and it changes you as a person, and you carry that through to the next episode, the next episode. Before you know it, you're a completely different person than when you first started podcasting. So this episode that you're about to hear was originally season one, episode 33 of Relish the Journey. It features a conversation with a woman named Katie Williard whom I went to college with, shout out Lycoming College, and we worked briefly together for, for a stint, and this conversation was the first we'd had a true in-depth conversation about her topic of adoption, and it was the first time on this podcast that my mind was quite literally blown. <laughs> Up until this point, I was talking with people about you know, sort of typical self-discovery or in their career, their journey, things like that, right? This was the first time somebody truly opened my eyes to a whole new world that is out there all around us that unless you're a part of it or if you're connected to somebody who's been a part of it, you truly don't understand. And this episode was a launch point then to two other episodes in the field of adoption, one of which was with Ashley Mitchell, she goes by Big Tough Girl on Instagram, and she ended up into my book. And so all of that I could trace back to this conversation with Katie and the fact that she was so open and honest, allowed me into this world, which connected me to more people and interviews, which then helped fuel you know, a future creative project of my own, which I'm very thankful for. So takeaways you can expect from this episode, you will hear me literally just sort of tongue-tied, tongue-twisted, because I was processing some big, heavy things. And it was the first time as an interviewer that had happened to me. So it's interesting for me to listen to it back and hear it for myself. Uh, hopefully, I've gotten a little bit more graceful with it, but uh, it definitely wasn't always in this conversation. But Katie was a great guest. She held the space really well and allowed me to just be me as she was sharing something very personal to her. So check it out. Take a listen. If you hadn't heard it the first time, you're going to love this one. And if you heard it once before, listen to it again and listen to it even more intently because as the world around us continues to be just this crazy place, uh, stories like this with Katie and the journey folks go through to start a family just really show you the power of love in this world and how it can conquer so many things. Katie's three words were love over fear, and such a powerful message. So carry that with you as you listen to this, and really, I hope you connect and take away something special to you from Katie's story here. And stay tuned after the interview for a little piece of Relish the Journey trivia. Fun fact about this episode that you probably had no idea happened. All right, let's get into it. So the topic of adoption is one I am admittedly ignorant to. So I'm excited to ask a bunch of questions, but the main one really is just what led you on this whole journey of adoption? Sure. Um, so when we got married, we knew that having a family was going to be part of our story. Um, and of course you get married and you're like, oh, we're going to take a couple years to be married and then we're going to start a family and then we're going to have a family. Right. It didn't work out like that for us. Um, so... We tried to have a family for about a year and a half before pursuing some fertility, um, first like testing what's going on, um, and then some treatment that just got progressively more impersonal and progressively like harder emotionally for me especially because trying to have a family is a really personal thing um, yeah. and should be a really like special time between two people and then you add science into it and just 
for us, it was not a good option. Um, so we actually got pretty far. We never did IVF specifically, but we were like the step right before that. Um, and it didn't work and it like wrecked us after treatment and hormone treatments and me being just a raging bitch because of <laughs> Clomid, it was terrible. So we took a step back, um, and stopped all of our fertility treatment. And then I got pregnant naturally. Um, and I lost the baby at about 10 weeks and it was awful. Yeah. I can't um, imagine that. It was in February, the week of Valentine's day. And it was, Ugh. yeah, the worst thing that I've ever dealt with. Um, that took a really long time to get over. Um, it wasn't until June that we actually started like talking about having a family again and Nate actually brought up adoption. And it's something that I've really been passionate about and thought about, I guess I shouldn't say passionate about. I've thought about adoption since I was in high school. There was a situation that I was involved with where it really kind of set my opinions about things like abortion and adoption and plans for women who are put in that situation. And I knew that um, at that moment that adoption, I wanted to be someone's solution through adoption. Sure. Um, but when we got married, it was never something that Nate was really gung-ho about. And I was just, at that point, I wasn't pressing for it. So when he said, let's adopt that June, it's like all of the weight of the fertility and infertility journey, like lifted off my shoulders. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So that's what got us moving forward to the adoption process. So then in the process, there's multiple steps. Mm-hmm. How would you, you know, categorize that? If you say, okay, you decide today, yes, I'd like to adopt. Yeah. What's the first thing that you have to do to get that whole thing going? So the first thing we did was a ton of research. So there are a lot of different avenues to adoption. Most common that people think about, you can adopt through the foster care system or you can go through private adoption. Um, so through our conversations and through where we were emotionally, we decided on private domestic infant adoption. So that is working with an agency that works directly with an expectant mother to place an infant either shortly after birth or in our case, we actually match during the pregnancy. Okay. And then domestic is obviously here in the States. Right. So international adoption is a whole other ball game that I don't know anything about. Um, but so that's the path that we chose. So you choose that path and yeah. then you pick the whole category mm-hmm. and then you just, what, you're on name on a list and people contact okay. you or how do you? So after you decide how you want to go about your adoption process, then you enter into the home study. So the home study is performed by a licensed social worker who comes into your home and they evaluate every aspect of your life, from your finances to the principles of your marriage to how you plan on disciplining your children to the way you were raised and how your parents disciplined you and how you think that impacted you. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, So they really like dig down into your psyche and decide whether or not you're fit to parent. Um, So do you get to see the results of that? Yes. Like you get a 7 out of 10. (laughs) (laughs) There's no rating system. And it sounds really terrifying and scary when you think about it. And it is. It's when you're in that position where you just want to be a parent so badly and someone's literally evaluating whether or not you'd be fit to parent. It's scary. Um, But it's not as terrifying as what you think it is. They just essentially write up a report that details who you are. So it's not like you get a grade on it. Sure. Um, But then at the end that social worker either recommends you or does not recommend you to parent. Um, Very, very rarely. I've actually never heard of a case where a family wasn't recommended to parent. Sure. Um, Even based on, I think a lot of families, when they start thinking about adoption, finances are one of the things that stop them because they say like, oh, we can't afford it. Adoption is really expensive. Um, But your social worker evaluates all of the different aspects of your finances, um, income versus debt and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, it, they just say, okay, you so, have to know what you're getting into. Yeah, and so it's almost like applying for a mortgage where you have to supply paperwork to back it up. And, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so you have to supply tax returns and you have to give proof of income and all of that stuff. That's crazy. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, that, is, that is wild. Yeah. So then you go through the home study, mm-hmm. you pass. Pass your home study. So then you have to create a profile. And a profile is essentially a marketing piece for who you are. Okay. Um, I built ours. It took me like six weeks because... You want to be as authentic as possible, but you also want to sell yourself. Right. So you're like walking this line, um, and I say that out loud, and I feel like it's really unethical to say selling yourself. <laughs> um, but you're walking this line because it's something you're presenting this information to a woman who has the only thing you can't get for yourself, and so you want to put your best foot forward. And so I took a really long time choosing how to present that information, and it includes kind of a letter to the expectant mother, like 
hello, we're named yeah. Kate. We're grateful that you've chosen this path for your, you know, for your situation. And we'd love to be part of your journey. And then we detail our marriage and what we're like and when we met and what Nate thinks of me and what I think of him and what our families think and all sure. of the fun things that we do together and our hopes for our child. And you cram all of that into 20 pages. Do um, they give you a limit? Like it has to be 20 pages? They don't, but it's recommended... I mean, these women who are going to be then looking through the profiles, they'll get, most of the time they start, um, in the agencies that we worked with, they would start and give them between three and five profiles at a time, right. the women that were looking for uh, for parents for their children. Um, but some agencies will dump like 20 books on these women. Yeah, so you don't want them to read a novel every time. Yeah. Interesting. So, and so if, you, if you're one of five, mm -hmm. is there a time limit then? You, you have a certain period of time that they get to review it or you know you're in the mix and did they yeah. pick me or pick somebody else or can they pick multiple people like there's a semi-finals and you do another one or yeah. how does that work so it varies by agency it varies by situation most of the situations that we presented to um it was like less than three days that we had to wait um the one situation that was a longer wait we actually submitted our information um, but the expectant mother was entering a facility where she was um, not permitted to have outside contact. Um, okay. She was entering a clean living facility for the remainder of her pregnancy, and she wasn't permitted outside contact. So we literally got her situation the day she entered hmm. the facility, and so it was going to be a week. Four days later, we were get sent the situation that was Lucy's mom. Okay. Um, and so we quick contacted the agency after we'd already sent our information, and we said, hey, like, uh, we're thinking of presenting to this birth mother who's, or this expectant mother who's going to be reviewing profiles tomorrow, if we're selected, would it be okay if we called you and withdrew from, you know, the first mother? Um, so that was like this overlapping thing. Once we found out we were matched with Nicole, um, Lucy's mom, we withdrew from the other situation. Sure. Um, but yeah, that time frame was like 48 hours and we knew. So it's a 48 hour waiting period. Mm-hmm. And then you, what, rubber stamp it and put it this a book in the mail? And then... So to present, presenting is different based on every situation, too. Okay. Um, so of the four situations we presented to, two of them were hard copies of our profile and two of them were digital. Um, and the first one was insane because I didn't have our profile done and I was in Texas at a sales meeting. Oh, okay. So we get this situation and I call Nate. I'm like, look, we need to present to this one. I'm feeling really called to this. And he's like, well, we don't have a profile. What do we do? So he uploaded photos to CVS.com and at eight o'clock I left the sales meeting reception and went to my hotel room and stayed up till four in the morning and like built like a photo book. Yeah. And... Yeah. Threw together a photo book, contacted the agency the next morning and said, there's a book waiting for you at CVS. Would you mind picking it up and taking it to present to this expectant mom? And they said, yeah, sure. We weren't chosen by that by that situation and we weren't chosen by that mom um so did you redo the book or you just so i redid the book I redid the yeah book. i redid the book um but yeah it's like some situations that you get they're presenting the next morning and you have to overnight your all of your paperwork so it's a home study a letter to the birth mom a letter to the expectant mom and your profile and then any other documentation that the agency requires um so the way that we went about our adoption is we partnered with a consulting firm and the consulting firm would farm us situations from multiple agencies across the country. Sure. So we weren't partnered with only one agency. It did a couple things for us as adoptive parents. It shortened our wait time because we were seeing situations from a whole bunch of different places instead of just waiting, you know, one at a time from one agency. Right. Um, and it also, the agencies that we partnered with they work in states where adoption laws are more favorable for adoptive parents. So the wait time after a woman delivers her child, the wait time that she has to change her mind varies state by state. In Pennsylvania, it's 30 days. Um, but in places like Texas and Arizona and Florida and Indiana and Nevada, a few others, um, it's between like 24 and 72 hours. So as a prospective adoptive family who's hoping right. that their adoption goes through and that the expectant mother doesn't change her plans and decide to parent, that was appealing to us. So that's why we partnered with the consulting firm because they were sending us situations from agencies from those states. Right. This big web. Yeah. So then that waiting period then, mm -hmm. you didn't go through Pennsylvania, so you didn't have to wait 30 days. Yeah. But in that instance, congratulations, you're going to be a parent, baby's born. Mm -hmm. 
there's a 30-day period. I'm just curious, maybe you know or not, but do you get to then, you have visitation rights during those 30 days or you get to at least get to know the child in its first month of life or is it just you wait and the stork brings it a month later? <laughs> I'm not... I'm not totally positive about all of the laws within Pennsylvania. I don't think you have visitation, but I might be wrong. Um, I do know that children that are born in PA, they go into cradle care very okay. often. And so instead of going home with their prospective adoptive family, they go into essentially a foster home for the first 30 days. So they are not with their birth mother, and they are also not with their adoptive family that's going to raise them. That can create a lot of issues. Newborns bond immediately. Oh, yeah. Um, so not only are they experiencing the trauma of being removed from the woman that carried them, but then 30 days after they're born and they're finally maybe getting comfortable and building a connection with their foster parent, then they're removed from that again and they're placed into that permanent situation. Right. Um, well, how about being that foster parent? Yeah. Like, that takes a very strong person to just take a baby, give a baby, take yeah. a baby, give, a, give baby. a baby. That's wild. Exactly. That foster wild. care is, I think... I think individuals who foster children are have to be some of the strongest people. I'd agree with that yeah. for sure. Because they're literally just giving their heart for the betterment of children, and it's we've looked into it. It's something that as we've kind of moved through the adoption process, and now that we've experienced everything with Lucy, I've become a lot more um, kind of compelled to look into foster care, sure. um, especially foster care and adoption of older children. Um, which Nate's not totally on board with yet. No. Um, well, I imagine you probably saw a lot in the research and then going through the infant side, you're exposed to what's going on on the other side. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's got to keep you up at night to a certain extent, just yeah. thinking about all the kids out there and situations, quote unquote. Yeah. And yeah. So in the foster sense. system, there are over 3,000 children just in Pennsylvania in the foster system who could be adopted tomorrow. Wow. They are labeled free and available for adoption. Free and available. Free and available. Um, which, getting into that whole like ethical debate and the language that we use, both in the adoption world and the foster care world, it's, um, it could be a whole other podcast. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's not very uh, human. Yeah. You know, their situation, it's not a child. Yeah. They're free and available like a box of puppies and not, you know, need a home or something right. at least. Right. So that's interesting. So yeah. who, who picks that? I mean, it's just like some guy sitting in Harrisburg writing a bill saying... I shall deem him free and available. <laughs> so it's all based on, through the foster system, it's based on, um, the foster system is designed to rehabilitate and reunify birth families. Okay. Um, so when a child is placed with a foster family, their birth parent is given a plan, um, and they have to meet certain goals and certain milestones through that plan, and if they miss a milestone, then it's a strike against them. And they have three strikes, and then that child is considered, they're considered, um, their rights are considered terminated for that child okay. through different plans. And there's a lot more complication. I'm like yeah, oversimplifying. Sure. Yeah. However, they can miss two milestones and meet the third and the clock resets on the time for them to meet their milestones. So you can get into this like exponentially lengthening process of this rehabilitation of a birth family who may never meet all the goals and the milestones to be reunified with their child. Right. And in the meantime, that child is being exposed to the question of, sometimes, exposed to the question of, where do I belong? Am I going right. to see my mom again? Am I going to live with my mom again? Is my mom going to meet these goals? Is my mom going to be there the next time we go for visitation? And it's a broken system. There's a lot yeah, of things it's... that we could be doing as a country and as I think just as communities to better support the foster care system. Yeah, I mean, that's that alone in PA, 3,000 people. Mm -hmm. You're not going to turn on the news tonight, and that's not going to be a headline story. It's going to be whatever the hell Donald Trump said today mm -hmm. instead of something that people could actually have an impact on. You hear about stuff that yeah. we don't necessarily have the ability to impact. Right. So it just doesn't make good news, I guess. Yeah. It gets people sad in their living rooms. Exactly. Which is sad. Yeah. So then... The steps of the adoption process, we yes. kind of got off Sorry. On it. No, it's Tangent. okay. It's all good tangents. So you were, you talked about you had a few different situations and then you mm -hmm. were matched with Nicole, which is Lucy's birth mother. Yes. So you're matched. We're matched. How does that happen? So it happened for us while I was in a meeting with interns um, <laughs> and I got this phone call and I saw that it was from Florida and I was like, I have to take this. And I, I just said, I have to take this call. And I like ran out in the middle of a <laughs> sentence. Um, 
and I can still hear the social worker talking. And she said, this is Joanne calling from the Adoption Family Support Center. How are you doing? We wanted to, or we're calling to let you know that the adoptive or the expectant mother that you shared your profile with yesterday has chosen you to parent her daughter. Um, and I just burst into tears because we had waited so long, oh, so yeah. long. Um, and how long was it? We, we waited about four years. Wow. Until Lucy was born. So it was about almost three and a half years at the time. Like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. I mean, that'd be hard to like keep your resolve four years. At some yeah. point you had that moments of, you know, shit, is this going to actually oh, happen? Yeah. Should yeah. we give up? It's not meant to be. And then it's, then it is. Yeah. All the time, especially through, and honestly, that part was, I had more of those feelings as we went through like the fertility stuff. And especially after the miscarriage that like, it's just that like devastation and like you have no power over what's happening. Right. You can't change anything. Um, when we got to the idea of like, we are going to adopt, there was more of the resolve that like, it's going to happen. We don't know when, but there was a definitive like, we are going to have children through this process. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah. So, I'm sitting there crying, and Joanne goes, so I'm not going to give you a lot of things to do today because I know that you're probably already overwhelmed, but I do want you to call Nate and share this news with him, and then I need you to call me back, and I need to hear the words from you. We accept this match. And so, of course, we, you know, I'm crying and thanking her and telling her to thank Nicole and just telling her how incredibly blessed and grateful we felt. And I call Nate, and I'm still standing in the lobby of my office crying and trying to also, like, in the meantime, like, this huge thing is happening, and we're trying to keep it a secret because there's so many oh, really? pieces. I didn't realize that you were keeping yeah. it a secret. We didn't tell anyone that we were matched until after we had met Nicole in person, which happened, like, almost two months after we knew we were matched. Oh. So you mean, like, your parents and nobody knew? Our parents knew. Our parents and our siblings. Nobody else yeah. knew. I feel like that. That'd be hard to keep from your parents. Oh, yeah. I, there's no way I could have kept yeah. that from my parents. Um, so, yes, you're in the lobby. Why are you so crying? I'm in the lobby, like, crying and sobbing. Uh, no reason. Yeah. And people know we're adopting, so, like, they ask a lot. Anyway, right. so you're trying to keep it, like, under wraps, but it's really hard. And I call Nate, and he, as soon as I told him, he just started laughing. Like, we're going to have a daughter. And it was, like, this overjoyed laughter. I'll never yeah. forget I'll never forget hearing him say that. So he's laughing. I'm crying. Obviously, we're going to accept this match. So I called Joanne back. You know, we are grateful and so honored to accept Nicole's, you know, sure. partnership. It was awesome. It was a good awesome. day. <laughs> so then you said it was two months then from that day until you met her. Yes. So what happens in those two months then? We wait. Uh, we... We had the opportunity about two weeks after we found out we were matched, we had the, the opportunity to talk with Nicole in person. Um, and they like gear you up to have this, like the first call with your expectant mom. And it's like all of these questions that I've prepared and make, there's a whole, like, you're like amping yourself up. Our right. conversation lasted 10 minutes and Nicole did 90% of the talking. Um, she asked us how our families felt about us adopting and if they were excited um, and she asked how we felt about Lucy being biracial. Both of things with were like, first of all, race doesn't matter. Sure. Like we were. Did you know that matter. before she accepted? Yeah. I, I figured yeah. it'd be part of the situation. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then our parents were just, I mean, so stoked. Our oh, whole yeah. families were super excited. Sure. So, but other than that, she was the one that led that conversation and did a lot of the talking. And then after that phone call, I started I mean, we started trying to build a relationship. We're in a very, very open situation with her. So that means that Nicole is still part of our life and will continue to be part of our life, um, hopefully forever. Um, we really want that for Lucy. We want her to know where she came from, and we want her to have just another resource of support sure. as she grows up. Yeah. So you mentioned something. I'll, I'll come back to Lucy and then double back. And yeah. she asked you how other people felt about the whole adoption process. Mm -hmm. So how did other people feel? You kept it a secret for most people, but mm -hmm. I'm sure even your family had opinions on yeah. or reactions to the whole thing. And what was, yeah, the, it could be probably a whole other podcast, but <laughs> learning like? how to deal with people's reactions to all of the different aspects of our adoption. First, when they found out that we were going to adopt, um, and we'll start there because I think 
sometimes, especially after a couple has experienced infertility, people think of adoption as kind of like this second place decision. And that was not it at all. We absolutely could have gone forward through other fertility treatments, but it wasn't right for us. And I had a lot of ethical and like, I'm probably the most pro-life person you'll ever meet. So I had a lot of ethical questions about, about fertility treatments, about IVF, um, all of which were just totally driven by my own, like, you know, moral compass. So we chose adoption, like as it's not second place. Yeah. It's just, it is. It's just, yeah, that's how you do it. So learning how to deal with people's kind of assumption that, oh, once you adopt, you'll have your own child. Well, yeah, we will, because Lucy will be ours. It's not once you adopt, you'll have a biological child and that'll make you feel whole. The adoption and Lucy makes us feel whole and she right. she is our child. So that was a piece. And then like trying to help people learn how to talk about adoption and how to ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable. I am like an open book. I will literally answer anything. Um anything at all about our adoption. Um, But it's really funny when people say like, oh, do you think you'll ever get the opportunity to adopt a real sibling for Lucy? And that's essentially saying like, do you think... What does that even mean? A real sibling? A real sibling. So another child from the same woman? Yes. That's really... That's what they're asking. That's interesting. So like people are that forward and it's like, I get it. They're just, it's all driven by curiosity and I appreciate that they're partaking in the conversation right but it's just so funny and it's been hard because at first i'm a little bit passionate about things and so i would get like all fired up and be like they can't say things like that um but yeah learning how learning how to kind of guide people's opinions about adoption and educate them right has been really really interesting and i don't think it's something i'll ever stop doing i think that i will always be helping people use the right words and and speak in the right way about not only Lucy's situation, but like the whole adoption triad and the adoption process as a whole. So what's the adoption triad? The adoption triad is the adoptive parents and the adoptee and the birth mother. Gotcha. So it takes all three pieces of that triad to have like whole and healthy adoption. So is that another lingo? Like they call a triad, not a triangle. It's yeah, a triad. It's a triad. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is curious. So. So then back to the question thing, mm-hmm. this just might be a silly question too, but what's the weirdest thing somebody asked you or the most offensive thing somebody asked you about the whole adoption process besides a <laughs> real sibling? Um, the most offensive, the real sibling thing is, are you her real parents? That one kind of gets under my skin. I'm a real person. So yeah. Yeah, like, and a parent. I am very much material. <laughs> I'm sitting right in front of you. So the... The use of the real, the word real referring to our family really kind of sets me off a little bit. Is she your real child? Are you her real parents? Does she have... So Lucy has three three siblings, two half-brothers and a sister who's fully um, biologically her sister. And yeah, that does she have any real siblings? Well, she has siblings. If we adopt again, she will have another sibling right. and they will be very real. So that's... That's probably the thing that gets me the most, like... Right, yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd probably answer the smart-ass comment. Like, no, only <laughs> fake ones. Like, you made some dolls over there. Yeah. Siblings. Yeah. That's funny. So, okay. Now, I'm, I got us off track. So, back to okay. Nicole. Yes. You met her. You met she her. led the conversation. Or, on the phone, you, mm-hmm. she led the conversation. Yeah. And then, from that first conversation to meeting her in person... Yeah. What's that timeline? So that was about a month and a half. Okay. Um, and through that time, I was working really hard to build. Uh, she and I were working together to just, she's a stranger. She was a stranger. And she's giving us the one thing in the in right. life that we couldn't get for ourselves. So we're working to build a relationship. So a lot of it was done via text. We had a couple phone calls here and there, but mostly text messaging. Just kind of chatting about different things. And I would ask her how she was feeling. And she had a horrible pregnancy. She was sick the whole time. That sucks. Um, yeah, so that's that's what kind of like carried us through to August when we actually got to go down and meet her in person, um, which was heavy and awesome and yeah, it was awesome. So when was she born? Lucy was born in October. October. So were you down there for her birth? Yes, I was in the delivery room. Oh really? That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So 
part of Nicole's adoption plan, um, and we knew this when we presented to the situation. So kind of backtracking a little bit and talking more about situations. So once your profile's done and once you know how you're going to pursue adoption, you partner with agencies and they send you situations that you get to review and decide if it's a situation that you are comfortable parenting. Um, When you sign on with agencies, they literally ask you questions about the type of child you want. It encompasses everything from gender and race to exposure to health concerns. Um, Nate and I were super open. The only thing that we knew we we probably weren't equipped to handle was really severe health issues just because we both have to work and one of us isn't able to stay in the home all the time. Yeah. Care for a child. Other than that, it was wide open, but we got to see all the situations and they dump information on you about that expectant mom and about the pregnancy. So it talks about all of the finer details of what you're looking at after the baby's born. Um, Nate was really, really good at evaluating those and understanding how they would affect us, understanding um, the risks associated and the costs associated. And I would have said yes to literally all of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that piece of the process is huge when you're in waiting because you're seeing all of these situations. Saying yes to every one of them isn't ethically right. And it's really hard. It was really hard for me. And I know that there are other women that are waiting that just want to say yes. Um, but knowing when to say yes and knowing when it's right to say yes is really important. Well, that just makes me think of another question. Mm-hmm. You talked about the timeline for the expected mother mm-hmm. to say, no thanks, I don't want to give them up for adoption anymore. Mm-hmm. Is there a timeline for an adoptive family? They adopt the child and then they're looking at each other saying, whoa, what <laughs> do we just do? We can't do this. Is there a period for that? So too? After, after a child is placed in the home, Um, after the termination of parental rights have been signed and that baby is living with its adoptive family, they are subject to post-placement visits. So that same social worker that did your home study comes back into your home and sees, they evaluate how you're coping with parenthood. It's the same person? Yeah. That's kind of cool though. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so many people along the way, like involved Mm -hmm. in this whole thing. That's neat. Yeah. There's a ton of people. (laughs) Sorry, I interrupted you. So they come back and they... They just judge your, if you're doing good. Yeah. They just judge you as a parent. Um... (laughs) And that sounds really scary too. They make sure that everything in the home is healthy and it really is in the best interest of the child. So if somebody were to bring home a child and be unfit to parent, that social worker would go in and they would see that right away. They would see neglect, they would see abuse, and it really is to protect the child. Right. It gets really hard when you're in it and you're in like the heat of it. Um, Something that I've struggled with is like you put on as an adoptive parent, like you put on this front of grace and just being very accepting of what you go through. There's a lot of anger and like jealousy and frustration and like all of these really ugly things that you experience as an adoptive parent that like nobody's talking about. Nobody says like you're going to be annoyed that you have to prove you're a good parent when you see evidence of poor parenting all around you. And that's that's something that like – People in the adoption community will hear that and probably, like, I'll get crucified. But it's true. Like, adoptive families have these frustrations. Um, But knowing that it's all in the best interest of your child is what helps you kind of move through that frustration and move back into that. reframe it and just focus back where it needs to be. Exactly. That's interesting. So you're in the delivery room. Yeah. So when she's born... Which mom do they give the baby to first? That's also situational. So all of that is determined by the expectant mom. They determine that in their whole birth plan. They determine who's going to be at the hospital, who's going to be in in the delivery room, and when the expectant parents get to see the child. So there are some expectant mothers who choose to spend that 48 hours alone with their baby. Nicole wanted me to be in the delivery room. She acknowledged from the moment we matched that I was Lucy's mom. She would always refer to me as Lucy's mom. When we were in the hospital, she would tell the nurses, this is Lucy's mom. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And so getting to be, and that was like a pipe dream for me. I never thought that I would actually get to witness the birth of my child. Yeah. First of all, terribly squeamish. I thought I'd like pass out. <laughs> Second of all, just the fact that a woman is willing to be that vulnerable and open. Yeah, like um, you said you were strangers. Yeah. And now you're in the delivery room and, um, and she's being gracious, really. Yeah, yeah. Saying you're the mom. That's really yeah. cool. So Lucy was a C-section, um, which made me even, like, for some reason more terrified to witness birth. Um, Isn't that the craziest thing, though? Oh, my God. Because Mason was born via C-section, too. And it's like, 
this happens? Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm not squeamish. But they literally oh, yeah. asked me, Dad, do you want to see? And I'm in the middle of saying no as they're lifting me mm-hmm. out of my chair. I'm like, guys, I said, and then it's like, oh, they're okay. Yeah. It's crazy. But watching her enter the world and watching her take her first breath and like. Or that moment. Oh, my God. When they enter the world and they don't say anything for like mm-hmm. that fraction of a second. And then they open their mouth and it's just this crazy scream. Yeah. And you're like, whoa. Welcome. And seeing her like itty bitty tininess. And I couldn't move. The nurses, God love her. There was one like student nurse that like helped me over <laughs> to where they were. So she swallowed a lot of fluid. So they were kind of suctioning her and like, you know, warming her up. And right. she like guided me over and she's like, you're allowed to touch her. And I was just so overwhelmed. I was sobbing and right. You're like, yeah. Really? Can I? And I'm like, that's my child. That's my child. It was amazing. And the fact that Nicole allowed me to have that moment is something I will never be able to like repay her for. Yeah, that's really cool. Very cool for her. Yeah. And so, then we were actually with her the whole two days that she was in the hospital. We spent a lot of time together, the four of us, in her recovery room. Um, and we would leave at night so that she was able to have some time sure. with Lucy. That's really cool. Yeah. So then... Lucy, as she's been referred to here, yeah. that's obviously her name. Yeah. Did you get to pick the name or is that something Nicole said, here's Lucy? Yeah. <laughs> no, we did get to pick her name. Again, that's all dictated by the situation. The expectant mother determines who's going to name the child. A lot of them allow adoptive parents to name the child. And when we saw the situation and it said, um, Nicole has decided that the adoptive family will name the child, I was like, okay, great. Done. We'll pick out her name. Um... And I had always also thought, like, if the expectant mother has a name, we're going to honor that and we're going to keep their name. Um, but we didn't have to deal with that because we were going to get to name Lucy. Right. And so I argued with Nate over her name. Lucy means light. Lucy was my grandmother's name. The moment I heard the social worker say, you're going to be a mom, you're, you have a daughter, Lucy just came to my mind. And I'd never had, like, a super strong feeling. But at that moment, I was like, no, her name's Lucy. Right. Nate did not like it. Um, what name did Nate like? Did he have one? He had, he liked Mackenzie, I think, or Kins, Kinsley or something like that. I don't really remember. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter what she It doesn't did. matter. It, it didn't matter. And actually, multiple people were like, eh, I don't know, Lucy, Lucy. No, it was going to be Lucy. Right. Um, and so we literally, I literally had convinced him. And part of his hesitation for Lucy was he wanted our daughter to have a name that would partly honor her African-American heritage. Okay. So I don't remember what names he had picked out. None of them were Lucy. So I told him, there are plenty of women, there are plenty of women of color who are named Lucy. And one day I got an email from him and it was a list of all of these black women named Lucy. And they were abolitionists and they were feminists and they were these writers and like these wonderful women who impacted society. And he's like, I think her name is Lucy. The next day, I got a text from Nicole saying, I know I said I wasn't going to name the baby, <laughs> but... That's funny. And she rattled off a couple of these names, and one of them was Leona. And I was like, okay. She was going to be Lucy Nicole to honor her birth mom. Um, but when we got that text, I was like, well, shit. <laughs> we just settled on this. <laughs> yeah. And all of that grace I thought I'd have for the birth mother's opinions was like, out the freaking window. Well, so the whole time, are you treading carefully? Because can she just be like, you know what? You're pissing me off. I don't like you guys anymore. Yep. And then just say, you're done. At any minute, she can change her mind and decide that we're not the family that she wants to parent her child. Wow. Yeah. So that so that's got to like, be in the back of your head. Like, oh, yeah. Let's be kind of nice to her here as we're, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So we're doing this all via text and it was about, about it was like two weeks before we were going to head down there. Um... And so I was like, let's just wait and we'll talk about it in person because we have an idea of a name too. At that point, we hadn't told her that we wanted to name Lucy, Lucy, Nicole. We hadn't told her that we wanted to use her middle name. Um, so I was like, let's just wait till we're there. We can talk about it in person. So we got there and at that point, we kind of decided, okay, she likes Leona. Let's hyphenate her middle name. She'll be Lucy, Leona, Nicole. Um, and I was still kind of like hesitant about that. But then I got a text message from one of my cousins, and she said, I heard about the name. I really love it. Did you know that Leona means strength of a lion? And so That's fitting. Yeah. I was like, man. And she's like, you need the strength of a lion to go through this process and to have gotten to this point. And Nicole needs the strength of a lion to make this decision and make this plan. And Lucy's going to need that strength as she grows. And I was like, 
holy crap. Yeah. It's done. done. I wasn't like in love with it until that point. I was like, no, like she is. Um, so we got down to Florida and we told Nicole over dinner the first night about our plan to name her. And she's like, Lucy, Leona, Nicole, yeah, okay, like that. And like we agreed on it. I was like, okay, done, we're done. Lucy was delivered. We get into the deliver or we get into her recovery room and Lucy's, or I'm sorry, Nicole's mom came in and she said, Lucy, you went with Lucy. What happened to, um, she rattled off a couple of other names that she was being, that were being considered, one of which was unique. And Nicole looked at me and Nate and she looked at her mom and she goes, mom, these people could not have a baby named unique. That's <laughs> like, funny. Very much hit the unique. nail on the head. I don't know if anybody could have the name unique. Yes. Yeah. So. That's funny. Unique. Or Journey was another one that they were considering. Journey. Um, but yeah, she is Lucy, and we know that she could not be anything but Lucy now. Yeah. yeah. Hey, it's amazing. Once we argued over Mason's name, we couldn't agree mm-hmm. at all. Like, almost until he was born. We had a, a girl's name picked out. Like, we agreed on that right away, and then we kept going back and forth. And I don't remember when it happened that mm-hmm. we agreed, but then you just say it out loud a bunch of times, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... Now you look at them and you're like, what, what else would you be but yeah. your name? So it's funny how that works. Yeah. So the whole adoption process, we've gone through the process steps now. Mm-hmm. Looking back on the whole thing, what's something that happened that you wish you knew before or something you didn't know going in that now you know that you want to share with other people considering yeah. you know, going through the process themselves? I wish I would have known more about the right questions to ask agencies to ensure that they were practicing ethically. So we learned a lot about adoption is not federally regulated. Okay. So agencies are kind of able to do within reason what they want. Adoptions are not priced the same. They're priced differently based on the biology and exposure of the child. Expectant mothers are not treated the same. Um, from agency to agency, some of them use, so as adoptive parents, we knew that we would be responsible for helping to cover some of the living expenses for the expectant mother we matched with. Um, it's just, it's expectant mother support and it helps to cover their living expenses and transportation and groceries and clothing if they need. Um, but some agencies will use those funds to coerce women into going through with the plan that they've made. Cause I mean, well, do they get a cut of it then? The agency? The agency gets plenty. <laughs> like, so, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, so what's in it for the agency to have them go through with it? Like, they get a certain portion of those funds or funding based on the number of adoptions that are successful? or I mean, It just, it's, it's good for agencies to say we have a certain percentage success rate in sure. our adoptions. Because then more adoptive parents who hold the key to, like, I think the problems within the adoption world because as adoptive parents we're the ones funding this journey true um yeah if you all rose up and said no yeah and if we ask the right questions of agencies and we said how are you handling how are you handling expectant mother care how are you handling post placement care for birth mothers are you giving them counseling services do you continue supporting them after this decision has been made and after the paperwork is signed how are you serving that woman who has just given up something yeah. Massive. She's literally ripped her heart out of her chest and handed it over to someone else. Like, it is not a decision that expectant mothers take lightly. It is not something that is flippantly considered and just and tossed out there. It there's such a negative I think that there's a really negative perception surrounding birth mothers a lot of the time and expectant mothers a lot of the time. I think that there's this perception that a lot of them are maybe using drugs or that they're really irresponsible and they're just making all of these bad choices. But those women who are making the choice to place their children, like it is not taken lightly. Yeah. So you said you'd you'd want to ask more questions about how they do it. So how would you phrase that question? I mean, if you you wrote that question down for you, make sure you ask this. Yes. There is a whole list of questions. It was just posted on a blog at, um, so I follow this adoption community called Kindred and Co. They're wonderful. Google them. They just posted a blog about all the questions that you should ask. It's awesome. Something that I like specifically, how do you handle that expectant mother funding? Some agencies, after that child is born, if the birth mother changes her mind, they will ask her to repay that support. 
there is no way that I could pay back a full like three months, four months, six months of my living expenses to someone all yeah. in one swoop. Especially if you didn't have it to begin with. Exactly. And a lot of these women are facing financial crisis and they don't have that kind of money. So they have no choice but to go through with this plan that essentially they don't have to go through with if they don't want to. Like, right. That is their child. <laughs> they must do what they feel is right for their child. And if they go through the process and at the last minute they say, you know what? I can't. I can't place this child. Then it should be fine. And they should not be penalized for that. There are other agencies who will kind of squirrel away um, that funding and then cut a check after the termination of parental rights has been signed. So they essentially like yeah. pay the birth mother. Take the baby. Here's your money. To fulfill her plan. And it's... So there are questions that you can ask agencies about that. How is how is the funding handled? How do you disperse the funding? What do you do if there is extra funding left over after the adoption is finalized? Lots of questions about that. That's what I would ask. And how they care for those birth mothers after they're, quote, through the system. Right. So somebody that's on the fence, do I, don't I, consider adoption. Do it. I was going to say, <laughs> that's your piece of advice you give them? Do it. Do it. Do it. Okay. I think... Something else that I've been really surprised with are people that are like, oh, it's like they say, like, it's so great of you to adopt. It's not something I could ever do. It never occurred to me when we were entering this process that other people would say, like, oh, I couldn't adopt. Like, I don't think it doesn't take a special person. You right. just have to want to be a parent. Like, if you want kids, adoption is totally like a viable option, even sure. if you don't have fertility issues. Like. Go adopt. Go adopt kids. Yeah. Um, they're out there. They're out there. Yeah. So how would you describe your entire, you know, you said it was four years. So you go back four years till now. How would you describe this entire journey for you to parenthood? If you sum it up in three words, which would those be? Love over fear. Okay. Talk to me about yes. that. So all of the decisions that we made through our both the fertility journey and then the adoption, all of those decisions had a f an aspect of fear. So you're fearful that the expectant mother that you're going to match with is going to change your mind. You're fearful. You're fearful about all of the normal things that people are fearful for in a pregnancy. Right. You're fearful that the legality won't work out. You're fear fearful that you won't have the finances. There's so much fear. But choosing to respond to every situation with love instead of fear, just it makes the process more enjoyable it makes the process more whole and it makes you think about somebody other than yourself which is hard to do when you're just like so desperately wanting to fill your arms right so is there ever a moment in the process where you gave into the fear rather than the love i think they were definitely could tell you about a lot of moments there are a lot of moments that so i'm really emotionally driven yeah adoption is a really emotional process there were tons of days that I was like near broken. And if it weren't for Nate, I don't, I don't know that I would have been able to continue to respond with love. But because of Nate's like steady hand and his just very even keel vibe, yeah. he's the one that helped continue that like respond in love. Don't let the fear take over. Trust that it's going to happen. Like that's his whole like mantra is trust the process. Like, cause it's going to work. Sure. And it did. And it did. So what's your favorite part about being a mom now? Oh, man. I love... Lucy started walking about a month ago, and I love it. I love it when she comes, like, running at me, fussing with her arms out. Oh. Like, I've waited so long for a crying baby to come, like, running at me. Right. And any time... I love every single aspect of being a mom. We're having a hard time getting her to sleep right now. I think she's getting teeth and, like, daylight savings time. And even through, like, waking up three times a night and, like, I know that in a year I'm going to wish I could cuddle her in the middle of the oh, night. Yeah. And every moment is amazing with her. I just love being a mom. It's awesome. Yeah. It's indescribable. I love it. So what else 
about resources. You mentioned Kindred Co. Yeah. For people listening to this that say, man, now I want to know more. Yeah. Where do they go? So Kindred Co. is a great uh, community that talks a lot about open adoption. They're really doing a lot to support the adoption triad. Check out Christian Adoption Consultant's website. Um, they have a lot of information about the process of adoption. Um, you can also check out Mustard Seed Adoptions. They're another consulting firm, a little bit smaller and a little bit newer. Um, but they have a lot of information and are just, they have really good conversations surrounding adoption and the ethics of adoption. Um, Big Tough Girl is an account that I follow on Instagram. She's actually a birth mom who's doing tons to work for other birth moms and offer that support that's really important. Um, And then Adopt Well is another account that just, again, talking about the ethics of adoption and wanting to know more, they're, they're the ones to follow. Cool. We'll make sure we link that up. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of them. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Again, for sharing the story. I know it's very personal and you did answer every question thrown <laughs> at you. So I appreciate it. And yeah. Hopefully someone listens to this and comes away learning something and considering adoption if they weren't before or they, they're just going to do it. Like you said, they pushed yeah, over the edge it. on the fence. And trust that it's going to work because it does and it's amazing. So now that you've heard that all again, I want to tell you a little relish the journey secret here. This is actually the only episode I've ever had to record twice. So what do I mean by that? We actually recorded this episode once. Katie came over to my house and we recorded the whole thing. And as I'm going to save it, my computer completely crashed and I could not recover the audio files. So she would just outpour that entire emotional story you just heard. There was laughter. There was tears. You know, it's intense. And it was gone. And I literally had to look her in the eye and say, "Uh, sorry. (laughs) By the way, are you free tomorrow night? Can we do this again? (laughs) And she was a great sport. And she was free. She came back. And we did it that second time. And that's what you heard was the second one. It wasn't actually the very first one. It was round two. So little extra trivia tidbit there for you, but a fond memory for me, hopefully for Katie nonetheless. So if you guys want to get active with this whole topic of adoption, shoot me a message after this. I can put you in touch with some people in the adoption community that I've had the, the, the huge benefit of. I've been fortunate enough to meet and interact with since having conversations like the one you just heard. And I'd love to be able to connect you with whomever I can to help you if you're thinking about adopting or if you're struggling after you had you just adopted and you need someone to talk to, like, you know, having a community is such a big part of that big life moment. And everybody that I've met in that space is so willing to reach out and lend a hand. So don't be shy. I'll help connect you with whomever I can. Go ahead and reach out to me. I'd also love it if you could tell me what you thought of this episode, your favorite parts, your favorite episode in general. You want to submit one as a request for one of these from the vault episodes hit the link in the show notes here to leave me a voice message and check that out. So, all right, everybody. Until next week, this is Miles Biggs from Relish the Journey signing off. Cheers. Cheers.